Hey everyone, Saul Marquez here. Have you launched your podcast already and discovered what a pain it could be to keep up with editing, production, show notes, transcripts, and operations? What if you could turn over the keys to your podcast busy work while you do the fun stuff like expanding your network and taking the industry stage? Let us edit your first episode for free so you can experience the freedom. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Zaina Kayat. She is a future strategist with SE Health, formerly St. Elizabeth Healthcare, a health and social impact enterprise with a major focus on creating a better future for aging adults in their homes and communities. Zaina is faculty of Singularity University's exponential medicine stream and is an adjunct faculty in the health sector strategy stream at the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto. Dr. Kayat was previously the lead of health system innovation at Mars Discovery District, a health innovation hub in Toronto, Canada. In 2017, she was seconded to the Reshape Innovation Center at Radboud University Medical Center in the Netherlands. Zaina completed her PhD in diabetes research from the University of Toronto, followed by a career in strategy consulting, including as a principal in the healthcare practice of the Boston Consulting Group. She currently resides in Toronto with her husband and three children and is proficient in French and Arabic. How she does it all, I'm not sure, but she's great at it. <laughs> um, Zaina, it's such a privilege to have you here on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I definitely appreciate you carving out time for today's discussion. Before we dive into the work that you guys are doing, in particular around the future of aging and uh, the core focus that you guys have, talk to me about what inspires your work in healthcare. You know, it took me a while to figure out the answer to that question, but I, once I did, then everything was a lot easier in terms of how I make choices every day, every month, every year. If you imagine like a four-part Venn diagram, I'm right in the middle or in my sweet spot of really matching my purpose, my inspiration to my work if four things are in place. So one, one bubble of the Venn diagram is, am I working on you know, an intractable problem of society and moving healthcare to the home out of institutions for older adults? Yep, check. Um, the second is, is it a problem that's important to society? Like, can the impact be significant and Obviously, health systems produce health. That's pretty important. And also, poorly run health systems are bankrupting most economies. So it's a pretty messy problem yeah. uh, and important. The third is I got to be doing that with a team that I love. Uh, I'm not a solo worker. I can't be a consultant. I can't, you know, that's not where I get my energy. Uh, and so I got to be working with a team and therefore an organization that I love. So that's kind of I found my place there. And just be all of us being part of something. Uh, and then the last is I got to get paid for <laughs> for all that. Um, you know, I believe no matter whether you're a nonprofit and I work with a nonprofit, you know, uh, you need highly skilled people and they deserve to be honored for that skill. And uh, so that's going to work for me from a sustainability. So that's the long answer. It. Hey, Zaina, that is probably one of the most thoughtful responses to that question I've had. And <laughs> we've published over 600 of these. Good for you. I uh, love how clear you are about your mission and the work that you do. And certainly it's inspiring to, to even like step up the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. You certainly have challenged me in that respect. <laughs> um, so as you think about what you and, and SE Healthcare is doing to add 
value to the healthcare ecosystem, what would you point to as as that core offering or the area of focus? Yeah, so the, the core organization, you know, is 112 years old, has been delivering largely, let's call it home-based healthcare for a long time. And we now have like 9,000 people on the street doing that every day. I think 21,000 care exchanges a day. That's the core. Uh, when I got recruited, I was working in Europe at the time. So I moved back to North America and I said, you know, I'm not going to just be an innovation, chief innovation officer or, or something like that. That's trying to innovate on the core. Uh, I really know, believe that uh, the job to be done in healthcare is to actually blow up what we currently are doing and put it back together for the future. Um, because the needs and expectations of really all the stakeholders of healthcare, especially our patients, you know, are really almost nothing like what they were when we built the institutions we have today that we're largely stuck with. So point is, uh, we created a team called the Futures Team. So that's what I lead. Mm -hmm. I'm the future strategist of our org. And we're like a, an applied uh, future team that is a separate like incubation cell to the side that can design tests. Uh, and then if it works, scale next practices, next business models, not best practices, next practices. So I call it like an R&D center for business models in healthcare. And, and I think that's pretty special because a lot of health orgs need to do this, but it's very, very hard to set aside that kind of capacity and to live with the consequences of what it produces, which often means you're self-disrupting your own business model and organization. And that's not a natural act you know, for most organizations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I think specifically, we decided to focus in on older adults and keeping them at home as long as possible. So it provides a big enough space, but at least it's quite targeted, which allows you to be quite focused in your work. Well, I think that's awesome. And, you know, these these models of, of how you do it, the next, what, what did you call them again? Next practices, not best practices. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's something that I'm going to have to... Uh, to use uh, the next practices, you know, it, it's good to know where the puck is going and think operationally through it with a model. Uh, it sounds like you're really good at these. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh -huh. yeah, I don't know yeah. if we're good, but at least the word, what I find is why we never meet the future and we just keep recreating the past in healthcare is we start with what we have today and try to, you know, evolve from it. And this is different. What we do is start with a normative view of the future based on, you know, looking at all the signals and then create that from scratch. And that's not normal practice. So I think that's what I think is different. I can't say we're successful, to be honest, yet, uh, because we're pretty new. Like we're two years in, but I feel like the model at least is working in terms of achieving what we thought we would for, from a methodology standpoint. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. That's fair. And so as you think about what you guys are doing to make things better or, you know, just different than, than what's available today. That's at the core of what you do. Can you give us an example of that? Yeah. So, I mean, if you think of today's paradigm and where the dominant discourse is, all the energy, all of Medtronic's work, honestly, and, you know, outcomes, uh, value-based care, et cetera, it's still being applied to two paradigms, a facility-based paradigm, i.e. the hospital and the clinic and everything that goes on in those walls and a disease-based paradigm. You know, we apply uh, value-based processes or innovations or, you know, remote monitoring, all these new tools to a diabetes or cardiovascular or kidney pathway. Well, you know, the fair share of people who need help from healthcare systems don't have one disease and they spend 0.5% of their time in a facility. 
So all the action goes down outside a facility and nobody is really defined by their disease. And so that's what differentiates us. We, now, we focus on the home setting uh, as the primary location for all healthcare activities. Uh, and we focus on complex older adults who not only have three, four, five, maybe six comorbid illnesses, so you can never lead with a disease, but more importantly, those are just one leg of a stool of two other challenges around psychosocial challenges of isolation mm-hmm. or literacy, and then uh, functional challenges like movement and mobility. Those are not physical healthcare problems. They're just aging problems. So it's really, I hate to use the word holistic because everybody does. But we really start with who is the person and what do they need to live their best life at home? And if healthcare interventions or innovations is a path to get there, we'll back into it, but we never leap with it. And I think that's kind of, you know, I think a special approach that is much needed for the people whose needs are the least uh, well-served in our current disease-focused paradigm. That, that's a really great way to say it, Dana. And so I'm very curious about you know, the work that you guys did, there is a book, The Future of Aging, co-authored by SE Health and, and Idea Couture. Tell us about mm-hmm. that and, you know, what it's about and why should we care? Yeah. So uh, if you imagine, you know, I always like to use the analogy of, uh, you know, Christianity had a Bible to help spread the ideas and mm-hmm. anchor everybody around a common framework. You know, we found that if we're going to go down a path of of creating the future of aging at home, we better really understand where aging is going. Because again, it's not about healthcare. It's not about housing. It's about life as you age. And so we did a year and a half discovery with our partners at Idea Couture to look globally at all the signals and the trends and what's happening with aging. And then we backed into five themes or clusters of signals you know, healthcare was one, housing was one, the economy and labor force participation was one, technology was one. And that's what we package into the book. And so that's got two purposes. One is it becomes our Bible, our roadmap, if you will, that we can reference because we now have a pretty good framework of the future, like a normative scenario that we can design for. And the second is, of course, there's no way we're going to change the world by just the work we do. So there's a bit of influencing, shaping and making that understanding available to everybody else. So that's our whole speaking circuit and writing and workshops and just kind of capacity building, if you will, in the Mm -hmm. ecosystem. And that's what the value of publishing the book and then all the other assets around it has been. I love it. You know, the analogy of, you know, that the religious book, be it the Bible, (laughs) you know, Quran or whatever, you know, the Torah, whatever it is, right? Every, every good uh, thought and philosophy uh, is backed by by its writings, and and I love it. I think it's it's important, right? And and it puts it, you know it puts it into a different context. Zana, it just you know hey, it's not yeah. healthcare; it's aging and it's living, and we need to think about yeah. it differently. So, in and of itself, I love the idea because it is kind of next type of practice to to do something like this. I really love the idea. Like, how, how did you guys even land on this approach? I think, again, when you're in the in the futures work, so strategic foresight or any of these methods, the methodology leads you there, right? So because gotcha. if you start by saying, oh, we're a 112-year-old home health care provider, let's solve this using home health care. Well, by default, you've just missed the whole mark. By letting the data yeah. tell us and older adults tell us and watching signals, of course, around the world, because there are other jurisdictions or cultures 
that already have figured this out, you know, mm-hmm. really well, um, then we let the data tell us and it, it got packaged and some very clear themes emerged. And, and I also think, you know, if you think of any organization that has to continuously pivot, I firmly believe no industry will stay in its industry anymore. I actually think the company goes away, right, as a construct. It's a very industrial era construct. So, you know, you you know your mission as an org, you know your purpose statement. So how are you going to reconstitute your assets to find the best channel to deliver on that mission? And our next optimal channel will go well beyond delivering care in people's homes 20,000 times a day, much like hospitals are pivoting and getting into housing and food security and transportation and income security. It's just a kind of a natural evolution of the pivot that every industry has to go through. Fascinating. Hey, this is really neat. <laughs> uh, and it's fresh. And I appreciate that. And so as you, you know, take this this fresh approach to solving a, a tough problem, right, of how do we take care of, of ourselves when we age? How do we take care of our loved ones as they're aging? Talk to us about what you guys are doing to improve outcomes and and uh, make business better. So again, like I said, we're about two years into this program, uh, so a bit early for the it's kind of impact at scale that um, I'd like to see. But in the interim, you know, we do have a, a balance sheet, our own metrics for our team that are quite aspirational around impact. And so we had a target for this year at a minimum that through our work, which is still in the design stage, that we would reach about a thousand patients or family caregivers in a year. Mm-hmm. you know, in the testing stage of our various projects. And I think we hit 12,000 last year. So that was good. Wow. Um, now, ultimately, when we're at scale, it's a very different number. Uh, but nothing we've done yet has been adopted at scale. <laughs> it takes a while. Uh, and then we have another KPI that's, you know, similar to how I said about the book, like the book is both our Bible to do our work, but also a platform to teach and influence others. Our other KPI for impact is like a reach metric. So how many people do we touch or influence through speaking, writing, media interviews, all that stuff? And then we've got both a number target and then a mix. So if it's all in our backyard in Toronto, that's echo chamber. <laughs> so yeah. we, you know, we targeted something like 10,000 uh, impressions, if you will. And um, that 50% must be international. And, and we blew through that last year as well. I think it was like 25,000 people reached. Nice. And influenced by our work. And I think, yeah, 50 or 60%, not international, sorry, 50% or more was it was uh, national or international. I love it. That's awesome. And the, the clarity in those metrics is, is, is loud and clear. Hey, on this podcast, you know, we get 70,000 plus downloads a month. So noise. You could you could hit some numbers with this one. <laughs> you, just, you just blew my KPIs. I you have to see how many people actually listen to this one. But yeah. Yeah, I'll give, give you the numbers, numbers if you want the data. Um, but yeah, it's um absolutely. And uh and I mean the listener base for the podcast is highly engaged. It's B2B healthcare. So certainly the right right people talking with about this topic. And so walk us through one of the biggest setbacks you guys have experienced and, and a key learning. Obviously, I can imagine many of them with any new idea, but I'd love to hear what you would point to as the one that. Yeah. Was the- so first, just to set the stage. So another one of our, our KPIs in our accounting sheet of uh, our work is uh, our failure rate. So we actually have a target of 70% or higher of any <laughs> projects we take on should not work. Because if it's lower than that, then we're not pushing hard enough. Um, and we're at about 92%. So I just right. did an inventory. I just counted out of uh, 
a total of 29, let's call them projects we've worked on. Only five are active. Mm. Uh, six were complete failures. Like they stopped and were shut down and we'll never take them off. Uh, take them on again. And uh, another 18 are uh, on hold. We call them, uh, we have a graveyard that we track these called our ELMO, E-L-M-O. Enough. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> I don't know where I stole that from, but that's our ELMO. So our ELMO has 24. Or the, or the be, shelf. You know, I like to call the, the graveyard the shelf. You could put yeah, the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if I reflect on those uh, of the six that were total failures uh, that we're, we'll never pick back up again, four involved testing emerging technology and figuring out how can we integrate them into a care model that could then allow and unlock a very new business model uh, for healthcare. And, you know, two of them that it failed because the tech failed. It actually had a oh. fundamental problem. It wasn't ours. It's third party. Um, so that's look, a lot of lessons for us there alone. Of We wasted so much time, you know, designing a new care model and all that. But the tech itself wasn't where it needed to be. Gotcha. Um, so we won't let that happen again after two times. And then the other two, you know, the tech was great as a standalone. The new model they unlocked was exactly what everybody wants. But we failed in both of them to even be able to accrue or recruit enough people to test the model in the testing period. So when you can't even recruit people to try the tech when it's free and you've wrapped a ton of resources around the process, because it's kind of like a clinical trial, if you will, yeah. uh, that's a pretty good signal of how hard it's going to be to enter the market. So both of them, we ran out of money on testing because we couldn't even get enough people to test in the first place. So, wow. so yeah. lots of lessons and that's a lot of resources basically flushed down the toilet for those four projects. Um, yeah, and it just the most biggest setback, obviously I'm sure all your guests and listeners is just what COVID did to our whole portfolio. So we had, you know, probably our biggest project is four years to design a completely disruptive business model for home care. I mean, it's like 55 innovations all into one program supposed to be four years we were at a year and a half and the whole thing got pulled in uh in this summer so oh, that's that's I'm sorry to hear i that. still haven't recovered so uh, <laughs> that's a tough one um, that's a tough yeah, one it's tough yeah but the good news is again we salvaged a lot of learnings in the first year and a half and we're now actually decided it's good enough like what we learned is enough it's not great and we're now moving to you know embedding it into business as usual in the company which is actually basically means we're adopting sooner than we would have if COVID didn't happen. So I guess uh, that's a silver lining. Yeah. And there always is. And and frankly, you guys are running these projects. There are so many lessons that come out of these failures. There's so many best practices and, yeah. you know, maybe even standard operating procedures uh, that you guys could, that you now have as a result of them. So the learnings will will get you the ROI. That's just happens to be what I believe. But you know, hundred percent. I mean, yeah. yep, that's built into our model. We have like our we have a schematic of our innovation process, and then we have like when things fail, we have a little recycle box underneath that catches like the learning. Yeah, <laughs> and it's you know it, we we have an intentionality around codifying those learnings and integrating them into the next the next time. Absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. Love that it's built in there. And um, just, a, just a really well thought out thing. I'm saying it again. I keep saying this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so appreciate you sharing those so freely. We learn most from those. And and so now that you guys have, 
you know, you're two years in and you've got some years ahead still to put a program together here. But what are you most excited about today? I mean, I guess macro, you imagine, you know, I'm coming back to Canada. I'm trying to figure out where I want to do my work. And I chose to be in the home health space. To really, you know, I often say like we're going to move 70% of care out of facilities and into homes. That's a big value pool shift. Uh, And with seniors, well, who would have thought this pandemic would hit that primarily affects older adults and that home is the place everybody needs to be right now, including for healthcare. So I guess I'm kind of excited that really the, the opportunity to do our work has kind of exploded. I, I think more broadly though, for those of us you know, who are trying to create the future, you know, we often use a metaphor of, you know, rock the boat. So be an agitator, but don't fall out, right? Like all of us who do this work, we're always at that fine edge between the core every day because you have to have credibility and access and trust and speak their language, but you've got to be out in the future. And that's very difficult to edge walk. Yeah. Well, now the whole sea is rocky. So all the boats are rocking. So you know, there's no rules. I think that's really exciting. So I've used the metaphor, you know, that sacred cows are now finally becoming burger meat uh, and it's just (laughs) happening. And I just think, you know, it's a window now better than ever before to try things that were so difficult to even get off the ground before that, you know, if you mention them, you would get like kicked out of the room. But now they're going to hug you for it, you know, like who would have thought? So Different that world. gets me excited. Yeah. yeah, just the the this is the time for for the innovators and um, and it's it's long overdue. <laughs> um, yeah, well said. And, and um, you know, uh, I forget who said it, but uh, they said a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And, yeah, that's being and, said a lot. <laughs> you know, and saying we're saying that in the in, in a good way, you know, not like, hey, let's take advantage of a pandemic. It's let's learn from it, right? Like your recycle bin, right? Let's be, let's have a method that we can use to learn from this and tell a story to our children and tell a story to, to our community about what we learned and how we got better. Yep. Yeah. That's another metaphor or framework I've heard a lot is build back better. Mm. Uh, And Mm. I use sometimes the example, I don't know if people know about it, but when 9-11 happened, uh, you know, the tourism and the whole economy of, of the five boroughs of New York was just decimated. I mean, the whole world had it a bit, but this area, it was really bad, right? Kind of like how it is again today. And with a lot of, you know, future-minded civic leaders, they're like, okay, let's not rebuild back to what we were. There were a lot of problems mm-hmm. with the way the boroughs, like Brooklyn and others. So they built back better. They actually leapfrogged coming out of this terrible, terrible tragedy and crisis. And and I sense that's what a lot of us have in our mindset, which I think is going to be, you know, a nice silver lining of all this. I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. You and I need to hang out more. I like how you think. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zaina, you know, um, the the future is bright. And obviously, we're, we're thinking about ways to do it. There is a trend toward, uh, you know, more care in the home and awesome that you thought about focusing there. And I mean, who would have predicted the pandemic and what it would have done to that trend acceleration? Uh, So you guys are there and I'm excited for the thinking you guys are doing. Folks, so Zaina wanted me to share with you all their book, The Future of Aging is available. You could go to futureofaging.sehc.com. Uh, or go to outcomesrocket.health and type in future of aging and you'll see our entire interview with Zaina and a link to the book. 
It's futureofaging.sehc.com. Check it out there. Zaina, this has been so much fun. I, I've really enjoyed your your ideas and, and the approach that you guys are taking. Take us home with a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could reach out to you to or anybody on your team to keep the conversation going. Yeah, so I'd say that uh, business model innovation, which is you know either changing what you offer, what do I do, what do other people do, and how do we get paid, uh, is the unfinished business of healthcare. And I suggest do not waste your time on any, you know, new work that isn't tackling that. Uh, and if you get faced with a chance to do something that makes things incrementally better, don't do it. Life's too short and the problems to be solved are too big. So that's, that's my call to action is go for real, true business model innovation. Um, look, I I'm, uh, I, my stream of consciousness is available to the world through my Twitter feed. <laughs> So let's just go for that. So it's at Zaina Kayat, if you, you can see my spelling. And that's where I kind of put ideas and uh, retweet a lot of awesome people in this space. So that's probably the best. And you can just reach out to me there by uh, DM as well. Love it. Well, I really appreciate it. And I know that the listeners also appreciate the the fresh ideas you shared with us today, Zaina. We thank you so much and certainly look forward to staying in touch with you as as the ideas you guys are implementing uh, unfold at, uh, at your organization. So thank you again for, for spending time with us. My pleasure. Great discussion. Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, Saul Marquez here. I get what a phenomenal asset a podcast could be for your business and also how frustrating it is to navigate editing and production, monetization, and achieving the ROI you're looking for. Technical busy work shouldn't stop you from getting your genius into the world, though. You should be able to build your brand easily with a professional podcast that gets attention. A patched up podcast could ruin your business. Let us do the technical busy work behind the scenes while you share your genius on the mic and take the industry stage. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more.